regularly getting angry with her kids and yet desiring to fight that anger. A college student struggling with pornography but ashamed to talk about it with anyone, not sure what to do. A middle-aged man knows that he's in an aggressive career and that if he isn't careful, it's going to overtake his life and he's worried about neglecting his family. So one of the greatest lies of the evil one is that we as Christians can go it alone and fight sin by our own agenda and by our own strength and on our own time. Really, just us and the Lord. But one of the arguments we've been making about discipling through the course of this uh, seminar is that Christians are not alone and ought not to fight alone. You are in a war for life and death. And so are those around you. That battle cannot be won by fighting by yourself. You need help from the Lord himself provided by the Holy Spirit and mediated through your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is God's design. This is God's design for you. Keith, I'm just feeling hot. Can can you turn me down just a little bit? Okay. Uh, This is God's design that you would fight alongside with others who are struggling to put off sin and put on Christ, to put off the old man and to put on the new man. So to that end, we want to spend today thinking about biblical accountability and what it looks like in the lives of believers. So accountability, how would you define it? How would you envision what I mean when I say we ought to be accountable to one another? Okay, having relationships with other Christians that are close enough that if they see something amiss in our lives, they can address it. That's a good working definition. What else? So it can often be helpful if that's a routine, uh, routine engagement with another believer rather than something that's just over here, a conversation with this brother, over here, a conversation with another brother two weeks later, but something that's regular. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I don't think the scriptures prescribes that second one, but I think it's as a practical concern, it's super utterly helpful. Um, Christians should pursue accountability, though. That just is a principle that we see all over over Scripture. And for two reasons, at least. I'm sure there's more, but I'm highlighting two. Number one, Scripture encourages confession. Encourages confession of of sin. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 talks about this vertically. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in contrast with what he's just said, is if we say we have no sin... We lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So confession is helpful because it relieves our burden of guilt and shame over sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. But we don't simply do it just because it will make us feel better. We we confess our sins because the Bible directs and commands us to do so. A confession of sin does, I believe, start with the vertical 
David cries out to God in Psalm 51, right? He's just committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. And yet, he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, no doubt, no doubt, David sought to make amends horizontally with those he had wronged. Uriah was dead, couldn't do that in this life, but he was not saying that there is not a horizontal component to sin or that he had not sinned against other people. But what was super apparent in his vision, what filled his screen, was his sin against God. Our sin as Christians is ultimately an offense against the holiness of God. So first and primarily, we run to God and confess our sins. That is the, that's the fountain. And then overflowing from that fountain is that we go and seek forgiveness and confess our sins to other people. That flows out of our sense uh, that we have sinned against God and confessed to him. And then we become clear we've also sinned against other people and we confess to them and we go and reconcile with them. So the Bible doesn't know anything about being willing to humble yourself and confess your sins to other people, but to keep God at arm's length and refuse to deal with him. That's, that, that should be a problem to you if you're finding yourself able to talk to the person that you've wronged, but you don't really actually want to go to God with it. That probably means that you're not seeing it in its true light and in, it, in its true, uh, in its true horror. You're more likely just trying to resolve it just so that the relationship with the other person can be back to normal and not really actually just seeing its offensiveness to God. So, first and foremost, we confess vertically. Then we confess our sins to other believers. James 5.16. James 5.16 is just a classic text. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, if you came from a Catholic background, this is the basis for the sacrament of penance or the sacrament of reconciliation. That's not what this is talking about, where you go to a priest, confess your sins, he gives you absolution, and you do a penance. It's not at all what this is saying. This is talking about the mutuality of relationship within the body such that you talk to your brothers and sisters about sin that they might pray for one another so, so that you might pray for one another and that you might be healed from your sin. You're asking the Lord's help and your brother's help in order to help you with these sins because of the effectiveness of the prayer of a righteous man. So healthy discipleship relationships do include conversations about sin. If you are never talking about sin, your own sin with other Christians, I would suggest that's, that's problematic. We ought to have a level of transparency about sin so that we can be helpful to one another. Confession is an act of initiating openness and vulnerability about sin before God and with other Christians. It is not easy, but the Bible consistently encourages Christians to drag their sin out of the darkness and into the light so that it can be exposed and killed. Sin should never be allowed to hide and persist in the darkness. Bringing it out into the light means exposing it before God and before others. And Proverbs 28.13, Solomon writes, 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Confession of sin brings mercy for the sinner. Again, I think that's primarily talking about openness with your sin before God, but then activating the the superpowers that God has given to his church that we might help one another to fight sin effectively, that then also is likely to involve talking with other brothers and sisters about that sin. Okay, so number one, confession is something the scripture calls us to do. Number two, scripture warns us about self-deceit. My wife can confirm for you that I'm not always the best driver. She is a better driver than I am. For instance, I have been known to attempt to change lanes without checking my blind spot. So if you know what a blind spot is, your rear view, hopefully if you do if you're a driver, there's a spot on each side of the car where the, the, the car can be situ- a car can be situated in the next highway lane and you cannot see it in your mirror. So you have to you know, chicken neck it and, and turn around and look. Chicken neck? <laughs> Friends, you and I have blind spots in our spiritual lives. Ways in which we live in ignorance of indwelling sin and its harmful effects on our lives. Now listen, I think there is a mercy at some level in the fact that God does not reveal all of our sin to us all at once. Can you imagine if the first day you came to Christ, the Lord brought to your understanding a full a full-on 110% view of all of your sin, that would, be, that would be probably overwhelming to our sanity. And yet, we do not want to live in ignorance of indwelling sin and its harmful effects on our lives. Sin can make me blind to my own faults. Sin causes me to be deceived about the depth and breadth of the problems in my life. And it is God's good plan and pleasure to reveal that sin to us over time in the course of our lives, that it might be, again, dragged out into the light and exposed. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 3, Take care, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. Sin hides itself. Sin hardens us sometimes without our even being aware of it. And self-deceit does affect every Christian. Therefore, The writer of Hebrews says, be careful. Be careful. You can still make foolish choices that lead to a sinful, unbelieving heart. And if left uncorrected, Hebrews is warning us that 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 trajectory can lead us right to hell. Take care lest our self-deception be such we don't even aware that we're not actually Christ's. But whether it's that extreme case or whether it's just the fact that sin likes to take us down by paths and we're not even aware of it. We need to take care. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Self-deceit leaves believers into momentary atheism, moments in which our self-dependence and our lack of trust in God leads us to live more according to the world and less according to the truth. 
So the Puritan Richard Sibbs describes two sins as especially dangerous, more dangerous than others, spiritual pride and security. Don't be lured away from God by these. Well, what's the antidote to self-deceit? According to Hebrews, again, it's to encourage one another regularly. Encourage one another day after day after day after day. As long as it's called today. What's today? The day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. As long as the day of salvation is here, as long as the Lord tarries and there's opportunities for repentance from sin and faith toward God, as long as that happens, let us encourage one another Lest none of us, lest any of us be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the two ideas that the so that connects, we encourage one another every day, and that prevents hardening that comes through sin's deceitfulness. Daily encouragement, daily input from one another is an antidote to sin's deceitfulness, and it prevents the hardening of our heart. Well, if you're not doing well, and you actually don't want that known, and you don't really want to deal with it yet, what do you do? What do you do with yourself? You hide. You withdraw. You stop taking texts and phone calls and responding to them because you're not ready and you're being hardened. And the antidote to that is to let your brothers and sisters continue to be in with you. Now, what can happen when someone in love brings up to, your, up to you your sinful behavior or a sinful attitude in a particular area? But it's an area where you, you are living in ignorance of this particular indwelling sin and its harmful effects on your life. So what if someone comes to you pointing out something that they see, but it's not something that you see yet? Well, you could respond in a number of ways. You could, could dismiss their concern... You could even get defensive or angry and say, yeah, I, I don't see that. I don't think that's a problem for me. Of course you don't see it. By definition, that's what a blind spot is. It's a sin you're not seeing. So be slow to dismiss that kind of rebuke. There's some sin that you're aware of and you're fighting, and brothers and sisters sometimes may need to confront you on it. You know, you've confessed to your home group that you struggle with anger against your kids. They notice a particular context where you're getting angry at your kids. They might seek to, and you've said, hold me accountable. Okay, good. I'll just just let you know. I thought that interaction didn't go very well. (laughs) You know, let's talk about it. But that's one where you might be aware. What about something where you're not aware it, it might, it, it, you, you might need to just be open to the reality that you just don't see something. Now, that doesn't mean that your brothers and sisters are infallible, but be slow to dismiss rebuke. Here's what, I love this, this is Psalm 141. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. I love that. I don't practice it as easily, as, as, as easily. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. So when you have blind spots and your brothers or sisters have the courage and the clarity and the love for you to point it out, don't dismiss that quickly, even if you don't initially see it. If you don't see it, get a second opinion. A humble, humbly seek a second opinion and say, 
this is what so-and-so said to me. Do you see that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally true. Okay, I, wasn't, I didn't know that. I wasn't seeing that. You know, or they might, they might be more tender about it than that. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, that, that, that's, that tends to be an issue for you. <laughs> All right, the need for accountability. In God's great wisdom, he made us to live in community. It's why he gave us the church. In his great kindness, God put believers in the middle of covenant communities. We weren't saved to stay by ourselves, just you and Jesus. You are saved into a covenant community where you can hear God's word and grow alongside other believers. And within that church, we need these relationships within which we can be honest about our sin and within which others can hold us accountable to forsake sin and pursue righteousness. Now, what if you say, I get plenty of encouragement from fellowship at church on Sunday morning and by reading God's word on my own, and I'm getting along just fine without accountability. And my sin, that's between me and God. I don't need another person in the mix here. That's, that's just dangerous. Because sin is serious. It's serious business. It's life and death business. Its effects on your life are so pervasive, it goes beyond anything you could imagine. So based on these two scriptural reasons I've given, my contention is that accountability is not just advisable, but a necessary part of your Christian growth. We need one another to stand alongside us and help us in the many ways sin hurts us. Okay, that's some theory. Questions or thoughts? Your sin affects those who you love and who love you and who are near you. So your sin affects your family, whether or not you know it or not. Your sin actually affects your church, too. So you're actually lying to yourself, uh, either intentionally or you're just deceived. Your sin your sin negatively impacts those around you, including your brothers and sisters. Yeah. There are no victimless crimes. Yeah. As the warning at the beginning of your DVDs tell you. But it's true. It's really true. Yeah, if we look at the reality of how we all are working together to build one another up in our most holy faith, if you're sidelined by sin, even if you, you know, we're not, the rest of the body is not benefiting from your ministry, for one thing. So, CJ. Is there, is there a hierarchy? First, locally in our, in our body of the church, and then globally, if you will, whether it's with friends who are, who are believers or, or family members who are believers. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Is it, are you more asking about in who speaks into your life or into whose life you speak? When I speak into. I do think that there's a priority of proximity. Right, so our church family is the one is our church. Our church family is those who are proximate to us and whom we are in covenant relationship with. Now, of course, within your family, even if they're far away from you, you have long-standing relationships that are going to last for decades, hopefully. So, yeah, if they're believers, you want to be you want to be encouraging them. But you know, with with my my wife's family, uh, my wife's brothers and sisters are at other churches. They're being pastored by their pastors. 
Right? Now, I can, I can speak into, into their situation, and I want them to speak into my situation. But at the end of the day, if, if they're not as responsive to me, if I bring something up and they're not particularly responsive, I leave, the, I leave them to the shepherding care of their pastors. Yeah. It doesn't mean that if... Yeah, in general, um, I think I have covenantal relationships here. So, does that answer your question? All right, guidelines for accountability relationships. We'll walk through these relatively quickly. Um, here are just some guidelines for accountability. Some of them are going to be for you as you provide accountability for others. Some will be for you as people apply, provide accountability for you. Um, to make your relationships with fellow believers effective at digging out the sin that pervades your life and bringing it out into the life to kill it, some general principles. One, ask good questions and let others ask you good questions. We learn that in order to really understand a person, we have to ask good questions. Solomon teaches us that in Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. To get at the deep water in our hearts, someone has to ask good questions. And in my mind, good questions are heart-penetrating questions. They're questions that go beyond the superficial elements of life and draws out the things that sit in the deepest recesses of our heart. So imagine someone, a Christian, who struggles with lying. Of course you can start asking fact-finding questions to understand the circumstances that surround that sin. When did the problem start? How often do you lie to others? What situations are you more likely to, to lie But then to go deeper, it makes sense to go further, ask more penetrating questions. What are you trying to cover up by lying? What are the motives of self-protection that make you lie to others? What's the payoff for lying? And why do you, in the moment, think that it's worth it? How do you plan to give an account to God about your lying habits? So, Asking questions that pull back layers of the onion. Number two, don't be scared to confront. And be grateful when others have the courage to confront you. So, two sides of the coin. When you see sin in someone else's life, are you bold enough to confront it? Of course, that depends on the proximity of your relationships. It depends on a number of different things. But, at the end of the day, if it's your responsibility in a person's life to confront them about their sin, are you bold enough to do it? One commentator writes, let's see, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, uh, We we do one another a disservice when we, out of fear, hold back when it's time to speak. And to that degree, we are ineffective in other people's lives. We ought to be a church that is able to lovingly tell truth rather than be a church where we're all happy as to bounce around one another like billiard balls, knocking up against each other and not making any impact. You know, let's do one another the favor to actually bring, to, to have the courage to bring truth to bear on the situation. Number three, be honest. Be honest, whether that's you talking to someone or someone talking to you. There's few things better in this life for me than an honest answer from a friend or a kiss from the lips of my wife. Proverbs twenty four twenty six combines the two. 
says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Solomon considered an honest answer to be just as wonderful as a, as a kiss. So honest answers are critical, or else accountability doesn't work. You can only care for another person to the extent that the person is willing to be forthright with his life. You know, sometimes in a counsel, when I'm in a counseling situation, when sin is on the table, I will just ask, hopefully gently, are, are you telling me the truth? Are you telling me all the truth, or is there more? Is, is there anything about this that you're still withholding? Because guess what? Even when we're willing to confess sin, we usually still are, our, our, our hearts that have pride still are often skewing it in a direction that makes us look better. Not exposing everything. Withholding or trying to still put ourselves in a slightly better light. And that's part of the deceitfulness of sin. That it's hard to be that kind of honest. And so sometimes you might have to push a little bit, probe a little bit more, probe a little bit more. Is that how often is it really happening? What's is is it just that or is it also this? Ah, yeah, it's also that. Right. So we have to be be honest when someone's probing and and helping you, and be honest in pushing a little bit harder with one another. Gently. That's very. You have to be very deft with that. It's not easy. But we ought to be working at that. All right, what benefits do you reap from honesty? Honesty helps others to see your heart, to know your motives, to assess where you're blind, to see where you need the most help. Number four, be vulnerable. Accountability does not just work if you're not just, just doesn't work if you're not willing to be vulnerable. And admittedly, that's really hard because it's incredibly uncomfortable having people getting in amongst your stuff, looking at your sin and messing with your life. But for accountability to work, you have to let yourself be known to others. So Paul deals with this with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He is open with them and they are closed to him. You know, he says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. He was stood ready to be to minister to them, but they were closing themselves off to him, and it wasn't working. For accountability to work, you also have to let others be intrusive. Boy, that's a, that's a tough word, isn't it? Intrusive. It's got a bad connotation in our culture, but it's a, I use it deliberately. It means that you need to let people see beyond the superficial, beyond the the presentation. And see, let someone see the matters of your heart, the pride and the selfishness, and the suffering and the pain and the fear of man. So you've got to let people be intrusive, even when you don't want to hear their advice because it could possibly mess things up. All right, number five, be gracious. Be gracious. A Christian husband might recently might, might share about his desire to get straightforward feedback from his wife, but then when hap, what happens when she's actually honest with him, takes him at his word and be honest with him? How does he respond? <laughs> right? We need to be gracious in our reaction to one another when people are 
courageous enough to speak into our lives. One husband in this situation said, my reaction to her comments was not very gracious. By the way I reacted, you wouldn't think I had actually asked her for the feedback. (laughs) If I were her, I'd be reluctant to give me feedback again. Okay, there's some self-awareness finally. Paul writes in Colossians, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So let's be gracious in our speech when we're giving input and gracious in our speech when we're responding to input, even if we're feeling stung. Hearing others point to your faults can be painful and uncomfortable and stressful. Be gracious in your speech and your tone as you respond. Six, be humble. An accountability relationship is a meeting between two sinners, both of whom need God's grace and mercy, which means that haughtiness, arrogance, vengeance, hatefulness, manipulation, those are all self-destructive and run counter to genuine biblical accountability. So when you you tell others about sin, you have to seek to avoid doing it with a sinful attitude yourself, which is not the same thing as to say you must be perfect and absolutely 100% pristine when you address someone else's sin, but you must always be careful about your own motives when speaking to someone about his or her sin. And it talks, and uh, I'm not forgetting, I'm forgetting the text. I think it's Galatians. You know, do this with fear lest you also be tempted. Right? Because sin can, is like a rattlesnake ready to get you as well. But humility is a necessary component of biblical accountability. Whether I'm coming to you with something or you're coming to me with something. It's saying to one another, we are both sinners just as desperately in need of God's grace. And that humility in the speaker encourages the listener to have an open heart and an open ear to what you might say. No one wants to listen to an arrogant person. No one wants to be corrected by an arrogant person. Let's be humble. Be encouraging. Number seven, encouragement is an important part of accountability. An honest process of sin can lead to discouragement. Be careful Because you can overwhelm a person with his or her sin. Wisdom, prayer, and guidance from others can help us understand when to speak up about sin and how often. I think sometimes this, for those of us who are parents, there's something um, uh, to to speak to us about how we deal with sin in our children. Are we always coming on and addressing everything as if it's a five-alarm fire? right? Or are we being judicious in how we give our input? So too much, too soon can be overwhelming. Too little, too infrequently can lead to only superficial accountability. So you need to be wise in how you help someone see their sin. All right. Be available. Be available if you don't have time. Don't let your compassionate heart say yes to someone who needs help. So accountability, as Skylar suggested, involves consistent commitment uh, if you can only, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. We'll, I'll meet with you for accountability. I can meet with you uh, next week and then again in December. How will that be? Right? Not particularly, not particularly helpful. If you don't have some time for someone, you do them no good by saying yes if they ask for help. Say yes if you realistically have the time in your schedule. And the last one, be not be word centered. There's a danger of limiting discipleship relationships to accountability only. Some people get together and spend the majority of time talking about sin and their sin struggles. And we're obviously supportive of that, but we don't want that to be the only thing. We want to be driving everything back to God's word. 
not just a discussion of endless you know understandings about about what the nature and and how they fell into some sin this week. We want to always be directing things, always bringing it back to the word, uh, so that we're always centering both the, identifying the problems and providing solutions through the word. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking specifically about accountability and discipleship in marriage. Yes, BJ. Could I just say one thing for perspective, Walt? Yeah. Uh, just the gospel is central in all of this. So... We can be humble and we can actually have these relationships because the foot of the cross has already exposed us all as absolutely dirty, rotten sinners. Like, more so than we ever, you know, even understand ourselves. So that frees us to be honest with one another. Uh, and therefore, it, 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 it's like oil in the engine that keeps these accountability relationships, like, good. Because you, the gospel has exposed us as sinners, so don't be afraid to confess your sin to each other. And then also the gospel gives us hope. So no matter how much you're struggling with sin, the gospel does promise that, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, it will be yours in increasing measure. And so um, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. The cross offers us, the cross criticizes us more than, than any person ever could, right? It talks about our sin in the starkest of possible terms, but it also is the, is the means by which we find the forgiveness and the freedom from it. Okay, accountability and discipleship in marriage. Let's speak to that for a minute. Between a husband and a wife. Here's a few thoughts as you think about how you help your spouse and how your spouse helps you. Number one, the brother-sister relationship between a husband and wife is actually primary, I think. So if if there's two Christian spouses, they're both husband and wife, and that we, knew, we found out from last week's sermon, or learned again from last week's sermon, is an ordered relationship where the husband has authority over the wife and the wife is in submission to the husband. But there is another relationship that's going on, and that's the brother-sister relationship. Now, which of those two is going to continue on into eternity? The brother-sister relationship. There is a certain primacy of that relationship in how you and your spouse relate to one another, which means which just helps us as we see how the other spouse is to help one another, how, how to help one another. Husbands, the fact that you have authority over your wife does not mean that your wife doesn't have a responsibility and, a, and, an, and, a, and does you good by gently bringing sin to light in your life. Right? That's not off limits for her because she's... Because you're her authority. Her sister relationship with you takes precedence in those situations. I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but what, I'm, what, it, what I mean is that you actually, your side-by-side relationship is the eternal one, and it's the one that's, you know, the, the one that actually lasts forever. And so you need to be operating as brother and sister as well as husband and wife. There needs to be a real openness on the part of the husband to have input from his wife, and there needs to be a, a holy boldness in the wife to bring things to her husband, and vice versa. So the side-by-side relationship is super, super important in a marriage, not just the authoritative relationship of husband and wife. Out of that, 
comes this corollary. One of God's good purposes in your marriage is helping one another get to heaven. There are many good purposes in your marriage, good things that the Lord designs, but you are the closest in proximity to your believing spouse. And you have the greatest, you have the, you've, you have the, the most significant responsibility in helping that dear soul, that dear eternal soul get to heaven. And they to you. That's God's good purpose in your marriage is to help one another on to heaven. Number three, let's just acknowledge the reality that spouses can sometimes be in different places spiritually. Right? One spouse may have come to Christ 20 years ago. One spouse came to Christ last month. There's obviously one's going to be further along in the faith than the other. Or there may just be, there just may be situations where two spouses are running at very different speeds toward pursuing Christ. It happens. It happens. Let's acknowledge that that happens. And I think that leads to what I'd recommend in the next thing. Our overall attitude in how we're helping one another as husband and wife is the idea of walking alongside one another. We've talked in this class about several kinds of, of discipling relationships. One where Tim is many decades in the faith ahead of me, and I can, and I look to, I can look to him uh, as someone who's farther along than me. Or someone who's, you know, 20 years behind me in the faith, that I can be in that same position with respect to them. But for husband and wife, I think that you ought to see yourselves very much more on the side-by-side relationship, the, the peer relationship. God has given you as companions to one another. right? So even if there is one of you that's running harder than the other, even if there's one of you that's farther than the other, I think... The, in terms of how we relate to one another, it's, it's pretty important that we see that side-by-side relationship as, as the demeanor with which we want to talk to one another. You need to resist the tyranny of the urgent. What happens w- between spouses? What do you end up talking about all the time? All the logistics of marriage and family life. Or is that just me and Elisa? Only us. Take time, make time to talk with one another about big picture things. You gotta carve out the time to be talking about things that are more than who's gonna pick up the kids from soccer. That's for your for the sake of your friendship, that's for the sake of your intimacy and marriage, and it's for the sake of your eternal well-being. Encourage other voices in your spouse's life. You want your spouse getting input. If you're a wife, you want your spouse getting input from other godly men. If you're uh, a husband, you want your wife getting input from other godly women. You want to be sending them out to find spiritual resources with others. right? And you want them to have a measure of openness and honesty in It should not bother you that your wife might go to another woman to seek help and how she relates to you, men. That shouldn't be something that should cause you defensiveness, as long as it's not being gossipy or whatever or slandering you or dishonoring you. That's a good good thing. You want that conversation to go well so that your wife can be helped in relating to you well and that you can be helped as well. So encourage other voices in your spouse's life. Something else, pr- practice the spiritual disciplines together. 
Now, this is hard, and it depends on different stages and where things are with a number of variables, but it's just a good idea to begin spending time with one another, reading, praying, so that you hear one another's heart, pursuing different, you know, you know some, some, of us have, uh, some, of, some of our spouses have done on mission together. They've figured it out, how they're going to work the logistics of life to do on mission together so they can be reading and talking about significant things together. Occasionally seek some time away, some like intentional time away with just each other to talk about eternally significant things. You know, the concept of marriage retreat, right, which we do, what, every other year, usually? Every other year? But let's say you can't do it for one, one time we do it for a particular reason, but taking time to figure out an, an overnight, if it's possible, to get away to be able to talk about some things in more depth. So occasionally seek real time away. Now, what if your spouse, what if your spouse isn't interested? What if your spouse isn't interested in actually giving and receiving input on your spiritual life? Well, it happens. You might have a spouse who's an unbeliever. You might have a spouse who just isn't ready. It happens. I think your attitude is needs to be extraordinarily patient and prayerful and not nagging. You are not ultimately responsible for your spouse. You are ultimately responsible for yourself. You have to give your spouse to the Lord and leave him or her in his hands knowing that if they're truly in Christ, God will work on them over time. But I, wouldn't, I would encourage not to try and force that. But what does, what does um, Peter say? He says to the, to the wives, if, you, if any of you have husbands who are, who are disobedient to the word, they may be won by your demeanor, may be won by your good conduct. And that's true. I, th- I think that principle is true for, for believing husbands with unbelieving wives. The the witness of your good conduct, living with them as a believer, loving them, supporting them, engaging with them, talking with them as needed about, or talking with them as appropriate about the gospel, but just living in front of them uh, in ways that are righteous. So a lot more could be said on this topic, but we're, we're going we're gonna to close it down now. But yeah, get one another to heaven, husbands and wives. Be God's agent in, in one another's lives for their eternal well-being. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for today. Thank you for uh, uh, the folks that are here. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a bold people, people who are, are able and willing to deftly and kindly and lovingly speak truth to one another so as to help one another to put away sin and to put on Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.